Welcome to Marketing Thought Leadership, the podcast that offers insightful discussions on thought-provoking marketing topics. Here's the host of our show, marketing consultant, speaker, author, and educator, and the president of L2M Associates, Linda Popke. Hi, this is Linda Popke, and welcome to Marketing Thought Leadership. We're here today with Jennifer Lindsay, an Emmy-nominated PR and digital social media consultant who has extensive senior-level experience in PR, digital and social media, new media development, strategy planning, editorial management, event management, promotional campaign development, and more. Uh, She has expertise connecting with key influencers by using cutting-edge social media, search engine optimization, search engine marketing, content strategy, Web 2.0, and PR 2.0, and digital methodologies to increase online presence and maximize online thumbprints. Jennifer is also the host of the successful social media-oriented podcast on iTunes, which is called The A-List with Jennifer Lindsay, which has attracted key influencers such as Guy Kawasaki and Jeremiah Oyang, and currently attracts thousands of listeners. So welcome, Jennifer. Thank you for being here with us today. You're welcome, Linda. I'm glad to be here. You make me sound so much better than I feel. <laughs> hey, that's what we're here for. It's all about marketing and PR, right? Okay. Absolutely. So today, if you could tell us, Jennifer, one of the things that you and I have talked about that I think would be interesting to share with our listeners is generational marketing. And tell me what is general, generational marketing? What are we talking about here? So, you know, we're all familiar with baby boomers or Gen Xers, um, and that increasingly people are, are aware of millennials or, or Generation Y, and even the greatest generation, let's not forget, um, that, are, that are here among us and we're all mixing. And especially with digital methodology, we find that there's, um, you know, in my experience, there's a lot of Generation Xers that are out there. Um, that are in senior positions that are working with Generation Y. And there's there's definitely sort of lens that we put on, at, you know, with our generation. And, you know, in terms of my background, I come from television. And in the TV world, I remember one of the first things I asked when I was doing on-air work was why we put our hair in ponytails and the, the nicer TV station across the town put their hair in buns, and, I, and they said, well, our market is Angel Lansbury and Roseanne. So I got a, a key lesson in demographic targeting at that point. And, yeah, and, and so in thinking about, you know, the, the kind of demographic where it's a little bit older um, and a little bit more blue-collar, um, obviously I was able to tailor my reporting to that type of audience. Um, and I had a lot of information about that. As I transitioned into digital, still on the TV side, but working on television websites for abcnews.com, et cetera, what we had was information from companies like Comscore um, that provide amazing demographic or quantcast is another that provide fantastic tracking and analytics that actually tell you about your demographics in your market. And so while you can demographically Uh, target your marketing efforts to get that behavioral reaction that you're looking for, I've found in my work that it's a lot better to actually target to the generation, to the kinds of things that that make that generation tick and get them to have a favorable response to your campaigns. So we really need to be thinking about what generation is is really the target of, of our messages and how they're different. So, so how are some of the defining characteristics? 
how are these defined? I guess, and, and how are you know what? How can we target uh, some of these generations? What are some of the things we should be looking at? Well, you know, one of the key things is obviously from a marketing perspective how we you know, give offers. You know, what's one of the things we love to do is to give offers. And what we find with, with for example, the greatest generation, which I've had some experience working with, um, one of the clients, Jitterbug, um, you know, finding that they had these very basic phones that they started with, and their phones have actually developed over time to be much more um, tech-savvy to the point where there are actual people in, in the greatest generation asking for Facebook applications because their grandchildren are on them. And the kinds of things that in terms of offers that are valuable or that they see as most valuable are cashback offers, so showing that their money has a return over time. And I remember this is you know, the generation that remembers potentially the Great Depression right or was greatly influenced by it. So seeing that over time, normally we, we think, especially if you're a, an Xer, where things, you know, MTD generation, things move in real time, or Y, where things are moving even faster than that, um, people perceive that, you know, that, that, you know, seeing what your value is at the end of the year isn't really valuable. But, but actually, if you look at, say, Costco, Costco is a very good example where they do uh, for their business, owners, they do a cash back at the end of your year right. um, in dollars. And that's the kind of program that really appeals to the greatest generation, so our seniors. To boomers and generation Xers, pretty universally, coupons are the big bonus. You know, they love couponing. Um, and in terms of, you know, sort of life stage, it's kind of interesting with X and Y. You know, a generation X is, you know, definitely at a point where they're having a, uh, some issues with child rearing in the sense that they're uh, having a, some people are having difficulty being able to reconcile their sense of self and that personal brand with their children growing up and getting older and becoming people themselves. So a lot of times two for one coupons where the kid gets something or the child gets some daycare, something so mom or dad can go have their day and do something for themselves are very appealing offers even beyond that basic level. Um, and, and, of course, boomers are a squeeze generation, so some of that can be appealing, too, in terms of, you know, things that are valuable to their parents. In terms of Generation Y, the kind of offer, the method in which you deliver it can be the most impactful in terms of actual reach. Um, and actually getting the message in front of their face. So text messaging by far is the easiest way to get a message to people quickly. They're also very aware of the ecological uh, nature of, you know, what a, a paper trail means. So paper offers are not something that that generation really wants. And they don't mind frequency as much as you would think. So extras a lot of times will make the assumption that a once-a-day opt-in is a lot. But actually, for, for a lot of Generation Y, they've opted, if they've taken the time to opt into something, it's likely that their group of friends have as well. So their expectation is that they will get um, a high frequency of, of uh, text messaging from you and are happy to opt out of it. Interesting. So tell me, you've talked about these different characteristics, but how is this different than marketing to individuals based on the life stage that they're in? Isn't this partially our, our boomers are getting older, they're retiring, and then we've got some folks in the middle, and you've got the X and Yers who are more at the early stages of their careers and building families. Isn't it similar to be just looking at life stages? It's, it's, it's a very good question because I get, I've gotten that at conferences before, and 
it's actually very similar and it's the right sort of frame of mind to have. But one of the things to think about in terms in, in either kind of marketing, if you want to call it life stage or generational marketing, is one, the data sources that you're using. So a lot of life stage uh, data that we're looking at are people that are actually taking the time to respond to surveys and other information that takes their time. Um, I like to think of generational data as more passive data, the data that uh, we're collecting from uh, conversion to purchase or other things that, that people don't really realize they're giving you. So you have a, a larger cross-section from which to take information. Um, so that's one thing that's a little bit different about the approach and the information that you get, which is um, could be you know useful in either capacity. The place that I think that generational marketing is actually the most helpful in terms of life stages, one, it's not going to tell you really the technology that's most impactful, and two, uh, you know there are some generation Xers that are that have children that are generation Y. Mm -hmm. There are some Xers that are just having children now and have waited till later in life, and you know a lot of them are going through the project, quote unquote, of having children. But what's very different about their life stage than boomers is that they still have trouble reconciling that sense of self and identity with being a parent and often will prioritize work over their family without even realizing. Whereas boomers have made more of a conscious decision to prioritize their life in the way they have. Um, you know, you've still got a lot of the influence of, you know, sort of Donna Reed and the you know, kind of mom knows best in the apron and the skirt and the typical generational jobs of, of school teacher and nurse um, influencing that generation. You have none of that for X. It's, it's about that personal brand, building it, being a writer, being famous. There's a lot of the fame game, name game that, that goes along with being a part of Generation X. And it is a small generation, but it's a very impactful one. The interesting thing is that in terms of life stage, Generation X has almost no visibility into the, what Generation Y, what makes Generation Y tick. So if you look at the, the, the Time Magazine cover stories, you may remember Generation X had two Time Magazine cover stories. One, the room was black, everybody was looking away from each other, and it talked about the generation of slackers, the sense yep. of independence. I remember and, that. That's right. Everybody yeah. Everybody about that. Yep. And then a few years later, they actually did a, a, kind of a revised one where the dot boom of the 90s was attributed to a lot of Xers who had done very well in business. Those people that were very driven by a high sense of self are the same kind of people we're talking about now being parents, where they're going, hmm, did that, that work that I built up and tried, you know, that company that's based on my name, um, you know, what's it going to mean, you know, or how do I reconcile that with my child who, who may need this, that, or whatever, but I can afford to, to have daycare. Why do I necessarily need to be involved in, in their life very granularly? And then you take Generation X, which is often called a throwback generation or the throwback generation. They're very much reminiscent of the FDR generation uh, in the sense that they're, a, they're what's called the service generation. They're looked at as, you know, the, the folks responsible for getting Obama in office. This they respond there. This is why. This is why. Um, okay. Got it. Often called millennials, um, right. but they're a throwback generation to FDR and that whole idea of service to one's country, 
um, or service to service in some manner. So we see a resurgence this year. The Peace Corps um, is uh, turning 50 um, in 2011, and and you know leveraging that to try to engage an entire you know new population in uh, the way that. Uh, President Obama was able to do with Generation Y, right. but, but they definitely have a, a group mentality, which we haven't seen for many, many generations, where, again, if we go back to the iconic Time Magazine cover stories, it was a dorm room with a bunch of people jumped on, you know, jumped on top of each other. It was very light and airy in the room, white in the background, sort of all this darkness, and, again, that sense of community. So if other people are doing it, they're likely to do it too. They put a high value and a high trust level in their friendships. So in terms of life stage, if you look at those different personality characteristics that ring true based on analytic data, very, very different in terms of how they're responding to life stage. Interesting, interesting. So they may be going through similar stages in terms of of, um, career and family and and, and those types of things, but they're looking at it differently based on their experience and based on where they are in this kind of generational scheme of things. Absolutely. For Got example, it. one of the major projections that's made about Generation Y is that they will typically have children five years younger on average than a Generation X um, with the same uh, income level and educational level would have a child. So if you consider, the, again, Generation X deciding to put off having children or having children and having more of a struggle than, say, boomers who are ha- have kids around the same age, um, you know, it's, it's, it's very interesting. The dynamic is very, very different. Okay. Now tell me, Jennifer, how did you get to, to into this whole field of targeting generations? Well, you know, I, as I kind of alluded to earlier, so having the TV background where if you didn't know who you were targeting to, um, you didn't kind of know why you were wearing a sweater versus a blazer or why your hair was in a ponytail. Um, and it just it sort of sparked an interest and curiosity in me and in people in general. And um, I noticed that as, as digital media progressed and as data became more readily available, as better analytic tools came into play, that as we had more demographic data, the better we could map things online. And that was really important because in TV, for the longest time, for example, car companies have used demographic information for years to to target based on programs and television shows. And so it's basically taking the key concepts in television sales, television marketing, and actually looking at the data sets and going, oh, wait, we have those data sets. They sit in this kind of analytic tool, this brand of analytic tool, et cetera, and actually utilizing it in a similar fashion, but in a non, it's non-traditional for our market. Well, that's good. That's good to know. And so, uh, so you've moved from, through some of these uh, experiences to help uh, others understand how to, uh, how to market appropriate generations. So one yeah. last question. Uh, if we wanted to find out more about this, and understand this better, where would you refer people to? Is there some research out there that's available? There are some research groups that are doing some amazing work, um, you know, in terms of tracking generations, and they tend to be very, very research-focused. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the books that I like to refer people to because it's, a, it's about just before Obama and the Obama election is Millennial Makeover. That's one of the 
books that I like. Um, Michael Hay and Morley Winograd co-wrote that book. One person who I know actually really well, uh, Morley Winograd, you know, I worked with in, in politics before. And so it has a political bent, but I think that that is actually an interesting lens to look through. If you compare that to, say, Edelman's case study, which if you just put in Edelman case study Obama, um, the Edelman case study on the Obama campaign, it's actually a social media toolkit for how to do advocacy online, which we know works really well for Generation Y. So I think that provides an interesting lens for how to both grow your online presence, if, if that's something that you want to do, and also an approach to how you're expected to involve the community, involve, say, Generation Y in your marketing activities. And then, of course, there are people like myself and others who are out there speaking and advocating on behalf of this, and, and hopefully a book will be coming soon for me on this topic um, in, as it relates to our field so that more people can get grasp what the tools are and how to use them and how they do differ subtly um, but impactfully from some of the other ways we traditionally targeted people in our approach. Great. That's good to know. Well, thank you so much. This is very helpful. We've been talking to Jennifer Lindsay. Jennifer is the principal of Jennifer Lindsay Digital. You can reach her at jenniferlindsay.com. That's J-E-N-N-I-F-E-R-L-I-N-D-S-A-Y.com. And, Jennifer, I want to thank you so much for sharing this with us today. Absolutely, Linda. It's been my pleasure. Great. Thanks, everyone. This is uh, Linda Popke from Marketing Thought Leadership, and we'll see you again next time. We hope you enjoyed this edition of Marketing Thought Leadership, brought to you by L2M Associates. If you'd like to find out how you can improve the return on your investment in marketing programs, processes, or people, contact us at www.l2massociates.com.